Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is with Sarah and Brian Bishop. I had a chance to connect with both Sarah and Brian at CIM. This was actually after our shakeout run on Saturday morning. As you may recall, Sarah has been on the podcast before. We had a conversation a few months back. That conversation was very popular. A lot of people reached out afterwards. They were a huge fan of Sarah's. And I was excited to get her back on the show because she had an epic, epic fall season. She was racing, as you'll hear, basically every week and doing a lot of half marathons and marathons as well. She was just, she was just doing something that I had never seen in terms of the amount of really hard racing in a very short period of time for somebody who, you know, has these big time goals as well. It was, it was just such a unique experience and I couldn't wait to get a recap of it. In addition, her husband, Brian, who in the past had been much more focused um, of, you know, in his activity on the bike, has started getting into running again, or not again, but started taking running even more seriously than he had in the past. And he's a really good runner in his own right, uh, that's for sure. And he was preparing for CIM. We had a chance to talk a little bit before the race and get a little trash talk in between him, between him and his wife. And then I recorded a show with him after the race to get his thoughts and feelings on it. Just a fantastic performance that he was able to put in. So congratulations to him uh, for his episode, for his work at CIM. This episode is what I was about to say is brought to you by two sponsors. First of all, Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities. And all it takes is three easy steps. Just go to mercurymile.com, create your profile, and then input your sizes, your preferences, the weather you run in, and they will send you a curated box of goodies, usually 8 to 12 items, from which you will then decide. You know, Do you love it? Great. You can keep it. If you don't, you send it back. The prices are very affordable, and it's not a subscription box service. You get a box whenever you ask for one, and they do a great job of, max- of matching your wants and needs with the items that they have. That's for sure. So check it out, mercurymile.com. This episode is also brought to you by McCurdy Trained. McCurdy Trained, you know, I work with them, and you know that. If you listen to this episode, listen to this podcast, James McCurdy is my coach. So what makes McCurdy Train special isn't the workouts or the results. It's the relationships that they're willing to develop with their athletes over time. Being a good coach isn't about killer workouts or fads. It's about adapting and adjusting, being able to listen and understand. And coaching is an art. And McCurdy Trained has some of the best artists in the world at the ready. 2019 is just about to hit, and McCurdy Trained is capping their athletes, as they always do. This is part of how they're able to keep these relationships strong. They cap how many athletes that they work with. So if you go to McCurdyTrained.com, you can inquire about their coaching services and expect a call back very quickly to then just see exactly what you're looking for and who you should be matched up on their extensive coaching roster. It just starts with a phone call. Check them out, McCurdyTrained.com. Thank you so much for listening, and here is my episode with Brian and Sarah. Oh, one more thing before we get into it. This episode, unfortunately, when we recorded in person, the audio didn't quite... Basically, one of the microphones didn't pick up the audio on Sarah and Brian's side. So I had a good friend of mine, Nick Rojas, is an audio engineer and does a lot of great things for Providence College. He helped out with the audio. So that's what happened with the in-person part of this. So basically, the the, the first 75% of the interview, I had my good friend Nick Rojas you know, work with the audio. He made it work. Thank you, Nick, for doing that. I really appreciate it. So if you do notice a little bit of different audio quality, that is why. But I think it was good enough, and I'm still excited to bring you this episode. Hello, Sarah, and welcome back to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me back. It's good to actually meet you for the first time. 
I know, right? See, everyone forgets. They think that, like, the people on my show and I actually, like, know each other. But, like, no. Like, I'm here. We're here at the California International Marathon. The race is tomorrow. And I've had a chance to bump into, like, a lot of people who either listen to the show or have been on the show, like you. And it's, like, that awkward moment of, like, I know you, but well, kind know of know you. You, like, <laughs> have the hand out for the handshake. And I'm, like, giving you the bear hug. Ah! I was on I was on both ends of that. I've given people hugs today who were like, Oh, I clearly wasn't expecting that. You know, they were nice enough not to say that to me, but their eyes showed that they weren't quite ready. Um and then the other people have like went to go shake hands with like James McCurdy, who then like hugged me and I think lifted me up and spun me around. Exactly. Yeah. Which was which was a wonderful moment for both of us. I'm sure so so if you hear the laughter in the background, Sarah is not here solo. Her husband, Brian, is here as well. Brian, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me here. And you know what? We were just chatting about how 11 years ago today, you two were married. And while I wasn't there at that wedding, I know that you'd said to yourself, you know what? The 10th wedding anniversary is special, but the 11th will be even more special because we'll both be together on the Rambling Runner podcast. So thank you for joining me for this special occasion. Of course. Of course. We've been looking forward to this all year. Exactly. So... I've been looking forward to this conversation specifically over the last couple of months because you were on my show beginning of the fall and you were about to embark on a hellacious race schedule. What, what adjective would you use to depict what race schedule you were about to embark on um, before it all went down? Um, uh, insane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I uh, I don't even know what I would describe it as. Um, it was pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, I was writing my post-PR, you know, 2017 CIM um, marathon high. Uh, I was still writing my, you know, half marathon highs from the spring, and I just wanted to do something different in the fall. Um, we had just moved to Dayton, Ohio. There was going to be a whole slew of new races that I had never run within, like, a two-hour radius of me. And I just started putting them on the calendar, and I started realizing, wow, I'm pretty much going to be racing eight weekends in a row, and I don't even care. Like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> so, it was, it was a different challenge, a unique challenge, and it was, it was what I needed uh, just to keep me motivated to keep training this fall. So. I, I joked in our previous conversation about how when I saw it on your Instagram story, all the races and the dates for the races, that my initial reaction was like, oh, this is so useful Sarah's putting the names and dates of all really cool races out there for all of us to be like, oh, thanks for the heads up, Sarah. This is great. And like the next post was like, I'm running in all of these. Like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's not typical, right? But um, I just want to do something different, you know? So. so did you feel different? Say, obviously you had a, you moved from to Dayton this summer, which is its own experience. You, know, you right. and Brian have a cadre of kids you have to take care of as well. Mm-hmm. So did you have a did you have like certain like um I guess training lethargy associated with training for PRs that having a more rigorous race schedule would get you motivated for or what was your training like that precipitated this? Yeah, so you know, honestly, um I just didn't have the motivation to really put two, you know, one or two goal races on the schedule and say, you know what, I want to train for for uh, uh you know, sub 240. I want to train for sub 116 and a half. Because I knew, like, in my head still, I was still writing these post-PR highs, like, you know, and I'd run times that, gosh, were just things I never thought I could do, and I knew it would take just so much more work, right, to run even faster than that. And I just, mentally, I wasn't ready for it, man. I was just like, you know, I just, I, I'm going to do something, I'm going to have different goals this year. I want to just go out there and kind of um, uh, live in my past self, meaning I want to go try to win races that I never would have expected that I could compete for a win, regardless of what time I run. So I told James, like, I don't have any real goal times on the schedule because I know I'm not going to be probably training in the way that I need to to run PRs, but I want to race for the win every single weekend and see what happens. So so my training was definitely different. Um, you know, I was more just, um, I was racing every weekend, and then during the week, you know, I was just doing a lighter workout to get ready for the weekend race, um, and it was kind of a, just a test of survival, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting, um, so. <laughs> so, 
explain to me how you go into a race expecting to win. So do you try to figure out who else is in the race? Do you like side eye everybody at the starting line? Like what does running a race to win it, especially a race that's less high profile, like say you run CIM, so Sarah Crouch or whoever's looking to win CIM marathon, right? Yeah. They know who the elites are. Right. If for no other reason they've raced them before, but they also know exactly who's on the starting line because it's published ahead of time. So what did that mean for you trying to get that done? Yeah, some of it was looking at past results, you know, knowing, okay, what has this, what time has this race been running in the past few years? Could I, you know, run close to that time? But you're right, like you never really know who's going to show up. But uh, my main goals this year, you know, I wanted to win the Air Force Marathon, which was basically my one of my first races of the of the season, and uh, it's typically one in somewhere between 2.55 to 3 hours, and I knew I could do that, you know, on a decent day. Um, it was a super, super hot day this year. It was um, 70 degrees with a dew point of um, 70, you know, 70 at the start. It was the hottest year on record, and I ran for the win, and, um, and you know, I, I did win the race, but that was special because I had run the Air Force half marathon 10, 10 years ago. Um, it was my very first half, and I never thought I would ever be in a position where I could come back to the same race um, and not only run the marathon, but try to win it, you know? Um, but yeah, so I just went in um, every weekend thinking, you know, if I can run the, uh, you know, close to the time that was won in previous years, then I could probably compete for the win. So. Um, so basically, my schedule looked like this. It was set aside another half an hour to listen to the schedule. <laughs> so, very quickly. So I ran the Rock Hall half in August, and then I had a couple weeks of rest. Um, that was a good race for me. I won it. Um, it was uh, I ran it in one eighteen, but I do think the course was actually a little bit short. Um, then I ran the Air Force. Then I ran six races in a row. I ran the Air Force marathon, and I won. I ran the, I ran the Chicago half marathon, and I was. That was seven days after the Air Force Marathon, and I was completely wrecked. <laughs> I got sixth place, but I blew up, um, and I was like, wow, yeah, that hurt. Um, but then I kind of regrouped, and the following weekend, I I ran the Indy Women's Half Marathon. I ran 120, which was a better effort. I ran for fourth, um, and then I kind of got my act together after that a little bit. I ran the Indy Half Marathon. At yeah, because it really sounds like you were slacking. <laughs> Well, I finally kind of started making some of my goals. I ran, I ran the Indy Half Marathon at Fort Bend the following weekend, and I won. Then I ran the Queen Bee Half Marathon in Cincy, and I won in, in, in 119 on a really, really tough course. So I was really happy with that. Um, and then I, I won the Urban Bourbon Half Marathon um, the, the next weekend. And then seven days later, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon, and man, I was really scared because I was tired. <laughs> and you were the defending champ. I was the defending champ. Uh, my goal was to podium. I know how hard it is to um, try to repeat as a champ. And, you, and obviously, you just don't know who's going to show up at a major marathon like that. Um, I, I, ran, I, ran, I got fourth place. I ran 249, which was a little bit slower than I had run the previous year. Um, thought on a good day I could run 245, 246, and had I done that, I would have I would have podium. So I was a little bit disappointed, but um, I was dead tired. So, so after that, you know, um, I was Let's just stay there for a second, though, because I'd love to like compare and contrast. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the previous year, mm-hmm. you obviously had a very different prep. Right. And then you have this year. Yeah. So did you view that, you know, comparatively speaking, like, wow, like, look how far I've come where I, like, maybe I didn't reach my goal in this race, mm-hmm. but compared to what I did last year, and you compare the preparation, it must have been at least some level kind of inspiring to say, like, wow, like, I, I still ran really, really well, yeah. considering all the stuff that led up to it. You're absolutely right. It was, um, you know, I was running six-minute to 6.10 pace every weekend in a half marathon, and I thought, you know what, if I'm fresh, I could do this in a marathon, and I could run sub-240. You know, I was doing that every single weekend. Um so, you know, it's, it's uh, but I, you know, I did go into MCM tired, um, and it's a hard pill to swallow when you're tired running races, wanting to do better, knowing you can do better, but you just weren't in the position to do so because of, you know, your, your my buildup. So, uh, this season was definitely a win because I felt like, man, I can work really hard. I can run, you know, I can, I can run these paces for this long period of time if I you know, train correctly, and if I put it all together, you know, I can I can still run PRs, and I think that's what I needed to know because 
coming into this season, I was still riding the highs of, gosh, I don't know if I can run any faster than what I did you know, at, at CIM the previous year. I don't know if I can run any faster than a 116 half. But doing this work week in and week out, as far as you know, racing these half marathons every weekend and running at basically gold marathon pace did make me realize, you know what, I can still PR if I train right, you know. So although I didn't run any PRs this year, it was never about that. You know, you always kind of hope that you could sneak one by, but, you know, six half marathons in a row, is that's not going to let you do that. But it made me realize, okay, you know what, this, this spring coming up, I'm ready. So I talked to James, and, you know, I needed a break after MCM. I said, I'm not going to make it to CIM. Uh, I'll run with Brian for 13 miles, you know, um, and I'll be there and run it as a long run, but I want to focus on running a PR this spring. So, you know, I think mentally I'm ready and physically I think I can do it. And if people haven't heard our first conversation, and you've also been on Lindsay Hines podcast, which was really good as well. We dive into, as did Lindsay, kind of your, your running background, which is not exactly the same as some of the other people you might be competing with from a, you know, time gap perspective, you know, you kind of got back you kind of got back into running after a very successful college experience. A little bit later, there was this time gap. So do you feel like now, considering how you really threw yourself into the fire, do you feel like you have things to prove to other people? Or do you feel like you are set up to compete against these people at the top of the sport and it's just a matter of time? I don't think like I, I don't think I have anything to prove. <laughs> <laughs> really to anyone or my just to myself, maybe. Um and, you know, and that's kind of how it's always, what it's always been about. And really what I tell my athletes, like, this is about what you can do, you know, like, it's really not about, you know, how you're faring against anybody else. But at the same time, um, but you're competitive. It's, it's like, at the same time, I'm competitive. like, I ran, you know, eight races this year to try to win, you know, so, um, you know, I would love to be one of the few women that can run, you know, a 230X marathon in the U.S., you know, and go into the trials, you know, thinking, I don't know, top 30. I, I have no idea, you know, um, but, at, but at the end of the day, like it is, you know, what excites me most is about how far I can get, you know, because uh, I'm already in a position that I never thought I could ever be in, you know, uh, but I think I have to be ready mentally. So for example, I had a great year in 2015 and then I had run 247 at CIM. In 2016, I didn't PR at all, Matt. Because I thought, oh, I could never run better. Like, it, that was so hard. What I did at CIM in 2015 was so hard. But um, but come 2017, I was ready. I was ready to PR. I was ready, like, I could give the trials a shot. And that's when I um, called James McCurdy, and we just started training, and then things just started happening. You know, I won MCM. I, I um, uh, ran the 242. I ran a 116 half, you know. And, and so... Um, yeah, like you just have to be ready, you know, in that state of mind that you really think you can do it and then be willing to, to put in the work to get it done. So you did something physically that you hadn't done before with yeah. this crazy race schedule. Right. Yeah. So what did you learn anything, any mental tricks or what was it like mentally fighting through some of these races where you know, you're running, you're trying to run as fast as you can each day. It's not as if like those races you held back, you know, right. you're running as hard as you can in running on tired legs. Right. So was it a ment was there any mental challenges that you hadn't experienced in the uh, past? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was hard. I mean, um, it would be hard. It was hard when I was warming up and I knew like, oh man, my legs are tired. How am I going to do this? You know, but at the same time, it did make me realize, well, if I can still do, if I can run these times, you know, we can run these paces week in and week out, you know, what can I do on fresh legs? And, you know, it just made me realize like, I can't. I can still work really, really hard, and I can still run PRs if I really want to. You know, so racing week in and week out like that. Um, yeah, it was it was tough during the races. You know, mile four, I'm already tired, right? <laughs> but uh, but you know, when you do it over and over again, um, your body kind of gets a little more used to it. You know, every every week. So um, and it was especially challenging at MCM. I had just raced a half marathon. You know, the weekend before I had raced five half marathons in a row already. You know, and I just didn't really know how it was going to play out. And so honestly, I crossed the line, and I, I mean, I was spent by mile eight at MCM, which was starkly different than how I felt last year. I felt strong throughout the race. So to run two forty nine still and just feel dead tired, I thought, gosh, like 
you know, I've got, I've got to be happy with that based on my buildup this year, you know? Yeah. And I think you could also look at that potentially and say, all right, next time you're in a really hard goal race, you'll be able to reflect on some of those moments of like, Hey, if I could, if I stuck with it at the air force marathon, you know, you know, after like having a crazy buildup or MCM after having a crazy buildup on dead legs, you know, in that goal race, you know, sometimes those hard races that we're in suck in the moment, but can fuel, you know, better performances later. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like anything else, you know, your body and your mind to get used to things that you do over and over again. So, when you when you experience uh, you know hard situations like that, it's easy to reflect back and, and know, yeah, I can I can do this because I've done it before. There you go. So I want to talk to Brian as well. Brian's here. So Brian, the, I the, my first introduction to you was when Sarah was on Lindsay Hines. I'll have another podcast and was talking about her 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 kind of her foray into coaching here she was she was about to start coaching and she was really excited about it and lo and behold she actually was you know really excited about it because even her husband had started to listen to her from a running perspective and it was really put you on blast so i guess first question was when you heard that podcast what was your reaction no okay so here's here's how it went down <laughs> wanted to become a runner right because uh i can't be the only one accomplishing shit is what he said <laughs> but you were a triathlete right he's a, he, he's a or cyclist cyclist so he jumps it he he only halfway listens to me um before you know training for the mcm 2016 marathon i don't even think i listened to it at all oh uh, yeah no. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah okay, he did. so he ran 312 out of nowhere i don't know how he did that it was two minutes from the bq time no, yeah, yes. he, he had to run a 310 to BQ. That was his goal, and he was two minutes shy, which was amazing. He ran an amazing race. Um, and then, you know, so he was he really wanted to try again. So um, then he decides to run the Ottawa Marathon, um, you know, in May 2017. Um, he, did you listen to me at all then? No. I don't really think no. so. <laughs> so maybe he trained a little bit more. Maybe he did a little bit more miles. I went from, like, 36 miles a week up to, like, 43 or something like that. So, yeah. So, again, he didn't listen to me. But he ran 3.06, which was a six-minute improvement. Um, this time he BQs, but come the fall, turns out he misses getting into Boston by, like... 23 seconds. Oh. So now he's really ticked off. Um, he... So then... But he's he still wants to do it. He still wants to run Boston. So, um, I became a running coach under McCurdy Trained in January of 2018. And then he decides that I know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> he tells me to write training, and um, he decides he's going to run the New Jersey Marathon in May 2018, and he, he listens to me, and he ran 256. So he BQ'd with flying colors, right? I mean, the real story is like the pathetic macho man thing is that she got her first male runner, and then she was talking one night about this new guy. She's like, my goal is to train him up and then he's to him, that he can get fast enough to run with me at CIM. I'm like, screw that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like who's this dude she's training and she wants to get him fast enough to run with her I'm like, I can do that so and that's why and that's why I asked her. I finally like sucked it up. And I love the anecdote. I love the anecdote on the on that she gave on Lindsay High. And she goes, "You come in from like a run. You're like, man, I don't know if you know, but like this zone two running really works." I mean, yeah. and Sarah's like, "God know? damn it! I've been telling you that for six months." I'm running zone two today, and then tomorrow I'm running zone four. And I was like flabbergasted. I had been like quote coaching him for a year, and I'm like. Have you not listened to anything? Because <laughs> he would run all his runs at the same pace, right? But I'm trying yeah. to tell him to polarize his training, right? Oh, easy on easy, easy days, hard on. But obviously, he he came up with this idea all on his own. <laughs> obviously, clearly, right? clearly, clearly, yeah. clearly yes. I've just decided I, I know how to train now. Yeah, yeah. The first two marathons, I just did every single run at like 6:40 to 6:50 pace. Like every run, it was just like mm-hmm. I just went. It was just how I like cycle. I just go out and just go as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. It's just like a way to expend energy. But even in the cycling community, there's polarization. Like if you like read any of Lance Armstrong's books and say whatever you want about like all the his, like you know the, the steroids and all of that, 
like he's very open about like what they actually do in training and a lot of people are the whole 80 20 model and yeah. i mean for them it's more like 95 5 in terms of low key to hard yeah but for, for like for us it's like just because we both are big in athletics you only get x amount of time away from the kids oh yeah kind of thing and so if i can go for a two-hour bike ride i want to get in the maximum number of miles possible you know, I don't want to go out there at like 16 miles an hour chit-chat with my friends. I'm like, all right, let's like go 21, 22 and just hammer for two hours. Right. And so, you know, because it's just like I only get so much time and I just want to make the most of it. And I, and I kind of, when I switched to running, it was the same thing. It's like, you know, I've got an hour to run and I want to run as far as I can in an hour. And, and I basically just did that for the first two marathons. And it, I mean, it got me, I guess I BQ'd, but, it, you know, not enough to make it. Still dominated my times, Brian. So congratulations. <laughs> And so eventually, you know, she, you know, she started coaching, and I'm like, all right, you know, I want to get serious about this, and, and finally asked her, like, you know, hey, dear, I'll listen to you now. Like, what yeah. should I do? So, so now he asked me what to do, which is, is like, I'm like, oh, really? It's <laughs> like, you have nothing on my calendar. What do I need to do next week? But, so, uh, I, so I, so so because Sarah obviously isn't judgmental about your training at all. So what was so what is it like living with your coach? Uh, man. It, <laughs> I think there's pressure to do your workout when you don't live with your coach. Because you like she already talks crap to me, and then like you know, and she's very judgy. So if I, you know, if I if I come home and I like, did you hit your paces? Like man, like I better hope I did. <laughs> no, she. I, I like to harass her, and she threatens to fire me on a weekly basis. Yeah. So just... so this is a funny story. Like so, I told Brian ran the monumental half marathon just a few weeks ago. And so I told him, I think you can run 122, which would be um, a six-minute PR, right? Four-minute PR. Four-minute PR. Oh, sorry, a four-minute PR. And, like, so this was substantial, and I gave him a race plan. But then he comes back, and he's like, yeah, well, your race plan really sucked. I had to run a six-minute PR, you know? <laughs> so, so I had to improvise. <laughs> that is great. That is great. So, so what's the goal this weekend? Well, you know, originally the goal, I guess, in New Jersey in the spring was I, um, is I knew I could qualify for Boston again, and I really wanted to get under 255 to qualify for New York. And then so I ended up missing it by one minute. And so originally CIM was going to be my get under 255 and, and try to get into New York next year. And then, but I kind of on a, like three days before Monumental Half Marathon decided to register for that and, and qualified for New York through the half marathon standard, which I think was like 123, I think. Oh, nice. So you can take it easy tomorrow. Yeah, like no expectations tomorrow, really. So it's kind of nice. That I, I'm not worried about like trying to get under it, but but so tomorrow I'm just hoping to go under 250. And holy cow, 248 would be would be I'd be really excited about. Yeah, so like, you so you might be the fastest marathoning bishop of 2018. He might be. He yeah, might be. Yeah. He That's kind of what time? What time do you need to beat to be the, 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 the house the house marathon record holder two thousand eighteen? He needs to run two forty nine. Two forty nine low, probably. You know the time. You're like not giving it to him. You don't want him to know. I'm gonna stalk your Strava tonight. I gotta find out now. Two forty nine. But no, so I think he can run two forty nine. Which is pretty um amazing. Like I I mean Four years ago, five years ago, he wasn't even running marathons. You know, like had no desire, and then he had to do my thing, right? Yeah. In, 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 in twenty, I looked it up on Strava the other day. In twenty fourteen, I ran sixteen miles, like total for the whole year. So it, I've come a long way since twenty fourteen. It, it's it's that's an interesting number. It's like why even run any? If you're going to run 16 for the whole year, it's like being like, I had two salads this year. You'd be like, then just have zero salads. You had to run the Air Force yeah. PT test. Yeah, I'm in the Air Force. Oh, uh, okay. And it was probably like in the buildup for my PT test that I started running again. Sounds like a serious buildup. Yeah, yeah. It was a very, yeah. I didn't have a coach back then, so it was. <laughs> this fall was pretty amazing, though, because he, he ran up to 60 miles a week every week. And, you know, I was running 90 miles a week. And, you know, we were still both working and taking care of the kids and if you would have asked me a few years ago if we could both run competitively at that level you know working and taking care of the kids i would have thought that that was possible well that was my next question like so what changed like what allowed that to happen so basically um brian runs in the evening like after dinner um eight o'clock at night so how quickly after dinner well like eight o'clock so he'll yeah. put on his headlamp. Get, you know. So what time do you guys eat? Like I'm like, like perfectly logistics here. Like I'm yeah. trying. To... Oh man, yeah. Six o'clock. So we get you know Brian gets home at like um, five o'clock. We sit 
just now with the kid. We have dinner at like six. Sometimes I'm running everybody to gymnastics or um, Girl Scouts and whatnot. And uh, we're putting him to bed by eight o'clock. And once they're in bed, he's he's out the door. So you so you still have a little food in your belly when you head out the door. Like two hours. Like if you have a big meal, like that's still. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I try to not eat very much at dinner. Uh, I try, yeah, I try to not eat that much because I know I'm going to do it, and then I just eat some yogurt when I go home. Oh, okay. But yeah, so it's usually like two hours after eating because the kids yeah. will get back from whatever. You know, we'll pick them up from wherever we're picking them up, put them in bed, read them a story at eight, and then I put on my headlamp and go run in the dark. Yeah. And when you have that short gap of time, it like forces you to eat fairly well because if you eat like if you eat bad food and you want to run two hours later, like yeah. good luck. Yeah. You know, like you could have like serious like sugar highs and lows, and oh, like yeah. I try to eat pretty healthy, and then think about what's what's it going to taste like when I burp it up in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you're like some fruity stuff. Is nice. This is the TMI part of the yeah, Rambling Runner yeah, podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 these are things you got to think about because these are tacos. <laughs> it just hurts, and so you know, it's, it's try to eat smart. So you're out at eight. Okay, so say. You're normally running what sixty to ninety minutes or so. If you're running sixty mile weeks, yeah, 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 yeah. Typically, like hour ten, hour and a half. Yeah, um, on most days. So, what time are you in bed by? Ten thirty or eleven. I'll get in bed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, I'll get back. You get back sometime after nine, and then sit around and try to decompress a little bit. Right. Shower and get into bed by like ten thirty, or try to be in bed by eleven. Yeah, because if I do an eight o'clock run, which I don't do very often. Yeah, it's hard to fall asleep before 11. It is. It's absolutely hard. I lay around and read a lot of Reddit. <laughs> that's, that's next one Which message board? <laughs> oh, man. Um, usually data is beautiful. It's one of my favorite ones. I, I'm doing my PhD. Yeah, so, like, well, see, that sounds like a great way to fall asleep. That must put you to bed right away. Yeah, it's, it's all these great visualizations of graphs and nerdy stuff. <laughs> Ask Reddit, you know. There's lots of great stuff on Ask Reddit, so... Oh, man. I know. I fall asleep to pivot tables all the time. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you're so you're in bed at 11. You're out at 8. And Sarah, how about you? So you're morning slash afternoon, or how does it work for you? Um, well, now that I coach full time, um, once the kids leave for school, I run in the mornings um, and then usually run in the afternoon like before they get home from school. So I'll do two runs basically before 3 o'clock. This is great because, like, you know, for, so last year at this time you had a very different schedule. Yeah. Uh, last year, I mean, I had to be up at 4 a.m., you know, run done by um, 5.36, you know, go to work, um, come home. Sometimes I would run at lunch for a second run. Um, sometimes I'd be doing the second run in the evening. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely much more difficult. I had to be much more on top of my game and motivated. But now I have more time um, so I can work around my um, my work schedule a little bit more with my athletes. Um and get things done during the, and get my runs done during the day. Now, have you noticed a difference in your hard workout sessions in terms of how much pop you have since you're not doing them at the, the crack of dawn? Honestly, no. Um, and it's because I think there was so much pressure when I was working full time to get the workout done within a certain time frame. I was like up. I was motivated. I was like, okay, I have to do this. is This is my time to run, and if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it, you know? And so – that actually helped me, I think, more than than now with the motivation that I could just, you know, sleep in and then, you know, wait around, you know, work a little bit, then wait till 10 to run. Um, so I don't really notice any difference. Um, it's just um, in the spring, I had to be much more mentally prepared that to, to get up in the morning and be more on top of myself to, to, to get things done because I only had a certain time frame where I could do it. Right, if you have that grace period to procrastinate, it's yeah, easy to fall into it. And you're, you know, you're a college athlete. You know, like oftentimes you have these college athletes. Me being one of them, and I think you see it across the board, no matter the sport, is that the grades fell off during the off season. Yeah. Because it wasn't like, all right, I have this time certain where if I don't get this stuff done during this time, I'm not going to get it done. Whereas in the off season, you're like, I'll just start it later. There's I'll so just start it later. There's so much truth to that. Yep. Right, yep. So there you go. Well, hey, good luck. So you're running hard tomorrow, yep. going for the Bishop title 2018. we got to get you a weight belt you can, like, hold over, like, as you're crossing the finish line with, like, the epic race photo. What Now, now, now that I've, like, qualified for all my goal races, like, my new, now I have to, like, try to beat her. That's going to be my only goal every year is to, like, try to try to get to her time. So I've got a new moving standard that I have to try to achieve. I love it. See, this is what it should be. You guys can start your own podcast, The Racing Bishops. You can have, like, you guys just talk about it.
This is, this is the monster you created, Coach. <laughs> She just mentions I'd go back to cycling. This is my thing. He's just trying to get his man card back. That's what's going on. Don't worry. I'm going to PR, though, in 2020, next year or so. That'd be too, though, so we'll see. There you go. So, do you have... So, obviously, your Olympic trials qualifier is, like, the North Star, kind of, so to speak. So, do you have 2019 generally mapped out and how you want to prepare? Yeah, I do. So, um, my first race is going to be the Austin 3M Half Marathon. It's really fast half. It's January 20th. So, it's literally in six weeks. So, I really want to be prepared to give a good effort there, run close to a PR. What's the field going to be like for that? Um, Competitive. Um, I think you know 117 wins it, which is you know that's that's pretty fast. So I could still compete for the win if I'm in really good shape. So I, I those are my goals: compete for the win and get close to a PR. If not, you know, if not PR. Uh, so I'm gonna run that. I'm gonna run the Phoenix Half Marathon February 3rd. Uh, another fast race. Um, really get my my legs under me. Um, you know, see what happens there. I have one more half marathon like three weeks before Boston. I'm going to run the um, Carmel Half Marathon in Indiana. It's local. It's a couple hours from my house. Maybe just an hour away. And um, and then my plan is Boston. So I um, would love to try to, you know, go for, you know, a PR at Boston. You know, will, you know the weather willing kind of, kind of situation, but also put, compete well. And, yeah, so definitely going to be a different season than it was this fall. Um, definitely – uh, pare down my race schedule a little bit, do more training, um, you know, do a little bit more longer hard runs, um, things I didn't do in the fall because I was racing so much. But also this is kind of um, my, this is my race. This is my running weather. You know, November through April is nice and cool, and, and it, you know, that makes all the difference in, in my motivation to get out there and train hard. So I'm excited. So a lot of the races you've done haven't been the high-profile races. Obviously, MCM is high-profile, but a lot of them aren't don't have that, that elite, elite field on the women's side. Right. So looking towards Boston, yeah. not knowing, obviously, anything can happen from a training perspective, but just generally speaking, when you look at a race like that, mm-hmm. are you would you be more focused on pace, or would you just set yourself in the middle of a group and say, okay, I'm here to compete? I'm probably more focused on pace at this at this point. Yeah, uh, my goal is going to be to to run to my potential at Boston. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and run my race. Um, I know that there will be women out there running, you know, the same pace as me. It'll be very competitive, so that will help me. But um, I'm gonna be more focused on on my own race rather than who's around me. Until like a mile four, <laughs> <laughs> and then the competitive streak comes out. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This is great to catch up with both of you. This has been so much fun, and good luck tomorrow. Yeah, thank thanks, thank Matt. You. We're excited. All right. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to the Rambling Runner podcast. Thanks, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you taking time out to talk. You know, the first part of this show was the conversation that you, Sarah, and I had the day before CIM. So that was, uh, it was fun to talk to both you guys at the same time. And now we're catching up a little bit after the race. First of all, congratulations. So tell the people the time. Uh, I ran 247.47, which is a, about a nine-minute PR. I'm very happy with that. That is huge. Now, we talked a little bit last time about your preparation and what you're hoping for and goals and, you know, joking about who's going to hold the belt, who's going to hold the Bishop family marathon championship belt in 2018. So so that was fun. But at the same time, when you, when you got to the starting line, what was your actual thinking about what you were going to be able to do that day? You know, I felt really good. Um, you know, I got a, I got a good night's sleep. It helps coming from East Coast to West Coast. Even though you're getting up at 3 a.m., you know, it's 7 a.m. our time or 6 a.m. or whatever that math works out to be. And, and so I, I felt really good. Um, you know, my, my stomach wasn't too upset from eating, you know, basically eating at restaurants for a couple of days, which I'm always nervous about prior to a race like that. And uh, so I got to the starting line thinking that I could definitely um, kind of hit our goals and hit the pacing that Sarah had set up for me. So I was I was pretty excited for the start. So you talked before about how you felt like Sarah underestimated your ability in a lead up race. What was the race <laughs> plan for this one? 
I, I wouldn't say she underestimated her ability. I definitely harassed her about the fact that I beat her pacing. But uh, <laughs> is it hot? And, and uh, so, so for the pacing for this one is, I mean, my, my goal was just sub 255 because I wanted to qualify for New York. And then she's like, you're dumb. You're in a lot better shape than that. Like, you can do better. <laughs> and so, so as we got closer and closer, you know, she kept asking me, what's your goal? And I'm like, I don't know. You're, you tell me how in shape I am. Like, you're seeing my workouts. What can I do? And so I, the, the goal, or, you know, her goal, she said, I think you could easily go sub 250. And then, um, and so that was kind of initially what I was going in at. And then, um, and then, you know, the stretch goal was to get down to like 248. And so we kind of talked about the pacing ahead of time. And, um, and she said, keep it between, you know, she basically just kind of gave me a speed limit for the first 18 miles. Effectively. She said, keep it between 630 and 625s until the 18 mile mark. And then if you're feeling good, you know, pick it up, but no faster than 620s. And then, um, and then, and so that's kind of what I, you know, towed the line thinking that we were going to do. So we ended up doing a little bit better than that. So I was happy. Well, that's great. Now, what was, did you have certain workouts in your lead up that were an indicator of your fitness or was it more of just looking at your lead up, um, in totality? Um, you know, there's a, there's a couple workouts where, um, you know, that, that, that she just had me going, you know, it'd be a trying to remember what they were even uh, that you know you're doing probably like two by four miles and i'm looking at it here it's like two by four mile at like 635 and then 625 and then a one by six mile at 620 and so it was like an 18 mile workout in total with um, most of it you know at, at marathon pace and, and i finished those last like 620 miles actually feeling really well and so that was like two weeks out from the marathon and then um and I, and I think that was the one that i really like after that after that workout and I finished those six, those six twenty miles feeling really good, um, that I kind of knew that I, that I had it in the bag as long as I, you know, got to the starting line healthy and, and it really got me excited to get to the race. Now, did you do a lot of work at goal marathon pace? Um, she doesn't have me do that much leading up because basically the workouts she had is I would do a lot of like my two, I just basically had a Tuesday and a Saturday workout. I think that's how she had me structured. And the Tuesday stuff was a lot of, it was a shorter workout, typically like 10 to 12 miles, but then there'd be a lot of uh, pretty fast paced stuff. Um, you know, about three weeks out, she had me doing like 12 by two minutes at 550, you know, plus warm up and cool down. So that'd be like a 10 mile workout. And so it was a lot of really fast stuff for my short workouts. And then the longer stuff would be closer to actually faster. A lot of stuff, you know, at marathon pace or a little bit faster. Um <clears throat> And then those would be my long runs. They're like more like, you know, 16 to 17 miles. And, um, and I, I felt like it, it built perfectly coming up to the race. That's great. All right. So you, you gave us the, the plan going in, kind of the, the speed limit, so to speak. Right. And then how did that end up working out in terms of execution? You know, it, it worked out perfect. You know, Sarah ran with me the first 14 miles before she kind of jumped out of the race and got a ride to the finish line. And, um, and, and we were just talking on the starting line and I felt that, you know, she said to keep between 630 and 625 and I was feeling really good. And then, so we were, uh, went out and I just said, I, you know, I'm going to speed that up just a little bit. And we were trying to hold, I was basically trying to hold about 625. So I ended up hovering between 620 to 625 the whole time I was running with her. And then she kind of peeled off and I was all, you know, by myself. And I just like, well, I just felt amazing. And then, um, you know, that course is phenomenal. And, and I was just rolling downhill, basically. And so I just kind of held that pace uh, the whole time and just tried to keep it at, you know, between, you know, so each, you know, mile would be between 620 and 625, somewhere in there, and ended up averaging 625 for basically every single split in the marathon when I looked at my final results. So I was like a metronome, which I was super proud of. So when you hit the 18 mile mark, did you decide to pick it up or was it more of, were you more thinking like, Hey, I went faster than anticipated. So I'm just going to hold tight at this pace. That's exactly right. I, I, because I was, you know, just a couple seconds faster per mile than, than kind of we had talked about, I didn't want to push it and blow up and I'd rather just keep it consistent. And, um, and so, so I just decided at the 18 miles, like I'm feeling good. I don't, you know, I, I wasn't sure that I could speed up and not blow myself up too much. And so, so I, pried, I tried to just hold it and then really pushed it out a little bit more that last mile and was able to – I had a negative split by, like, I think, like, I don't know, like 20 seconds or 30 seconds, so just a little bit. So, But I, I definitely didn't think I could have done another 
five seconds off per mile. Now, for a lot of people, a big challenge of doing the negative split isn't necessarily the fitness or even the pacing itself. Sometimes it can just be about nutrition and making sure they have enough energy. What was your nutrition looking like during the race? You know, I, I took, I want to say I had six gels with me, and I think I ate two of them at the start and then four on the course. And I think, actually, I think I stole a gel from one of the pit stops or, or the water stops. So I think I ate five gels um, throughout the course of the race, which seemed to do pretty well for me. I know Sarah, she, I think she only does like two or three gels, which, which baffles me <laughs> how she can do that. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I just did five, the five gels, I think, on the course, the two right at the beginning. And then um, I, I, I felt strong come to the finish, too. So I, it worked out real well. Now, you're a big time cyclist. You spend a lot of time doing bike work before you got into running, uh, or at least running at the, at the seriousness with which you did this marathon cycle. When you were doing biking, was there, like, how would you compare yourself to other riders? Where, did you need a lot of fuel on the go, or were you able to do it, you know, with a little bit less? Um, you know, that's a good question. You know, for me, cycling, anything under two hours, I typically would not bring any fuel with me. And, and so the, and the vast majority of my rides were two hours or under. And so, so it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to judge because very rarely did I do, you know, I've done a couple like nine and 11 hour rides in the mountains. And then, um, so it's, it's kind of hard to judge, but I think in general, I probably take less fuel than most of the guys I ride with. Yeah. And a two hour ride, especially if you're just not, you know, not, not going near the red line. Yeah. It's not as if that's a huge depletion on glycogen. No. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, that's, that's why it's kind of hard to judge is it, I, you know, I only did one, it would only do like, you know, I don't know, maybe three or four efforts a year where I'd actually plan on fuel and have to think about that stuff. So. All right. So two forty-seven. that is an awesome, awesome time, right? So you dropped it down from two fifty-six, and until I got to ask, like, what, what, what does that mean for your athletic future? Because you, it's not like you were all in either way from a cycling or running perspective. So do you have shifting goals now? Did this set up a new horizon? Yeah, I, I, I got to figure that out. <laughs> uh, I, I was really surprised with just, you know, as soon as I actually started, you know, training versus just running, you know, but my, my first few marathons, I was just running, you know, there, it was on, it was unstructured. It was just increased miles. It was just kind of, I don't know, running. And, and, and then once I started actually like training, you know, I asked Sarah to help me and, um, and it, it's kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of what I can do. And so, so now I got to figure that out. You know, the big thing coming up is Boston this spring, which I'm really, which I'm really excited for, you know, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring to try to get into New York next year. And so, um, yeah, we'll see what the spring holds. I, I'll probably do it just like I did this year is that I just do the workouts that Sarah gives me. And then once we get close, like ask her again, Hey, wh what do you think I can run? <laughs> and I, I, I would, I would love to get, you know, sub 245 or, or, you know, even get down close to 240 would be, would be amazing. Got it. So you don't necessarily need this big shining goal in the distance to stay focused. I don't think so. I've, you know, a lot of this is, is just, it's, you know, it's my me time. It's, it's time for me to get out there and reflect and think. And, and the, the training has just kind of helped me keep focused during that time. And so, you know, now, now that I've kind of the big goals were to try to run New York and Boston, I've achieved those. Now it's just kind of seeing, you know, just staying structured, staying focused, um, you know, during my winter running season and, and uh, you know, see what I can get next. I'm sure Sarah and I always do crazy vacations around the world. And so I'm sure this will will leverage this into like a vacation in, you know, Europe to go run Berlin or something like that. And so that's what I got to start. Uh, convincing Sarah to let us do. Yeah, you guys do these crazy excursions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, like it's really interesting to see from afar. I mean, don't sign me up for them, uh, certainly. But they're always like you know, going to Peru or all this crazy stuff. Yeah, that's 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 our you know our you know in addition to the running where we escape the craziness of our life is we always try to take one to two weeks backpacking somewhere in the world, just off the grid in the mountains, just doing other strenuous you know. Uh, you know, physical things. And so, um, and, and we've been known to combine running and backpacking. And so I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we have a Berlin, you know, hiking in the, you know, black forest vacation in our future. Oh man. I love it. All right. So last question, 
coming in around 247 in at CIM is an interesting number because you're also kind of at the the tail end of the people who are who are really training hard to get the the women's OTQ. So yeah. did you what was that like? I know obviously to the end of the marathon you might not have been like completely lucid at that point. <laughs> but what was it like witnessing Obviously, some of these women who worked really hard for that goal and didn't quite get it and were probably finishing close to where you were finishing. Were you cognizant of that? And what was that like? I was because I, I knew that I was coming in kind of, you know, basically two to three minutes off the time that everyone was shooting for. And, you know, the women, the, you know, I, I, was, I was actually just looking at how many people I passed, um, you know, through the race. And, and, and I and cause I was just because I stayed so consistent, you, the people who were bonking, I was able to kind of peel, you know passing folks and I was looking at that and you could definitely see the women who had blown up and the anguish in their face was certainly um you know you could you could tell that they were bummed right more than more than any guy that's crashing at that that pace you know he didn't have that huge goal in front of him and you you could definitely see it on some of those women's face that they were crushed and one woman actually ended up crawling the last 200 meters um of the race did you happen to come across her as she was finishing I don't think I did. I don't remember seeing her at all. She must have crossed just before you because I was talking to Crystal Harris. I think it was, I think it was either Crystal Harris or, um, or Haley Sutter. I can't remember which one, but I'd asked them, like, what was it like to turn the corner? And here you have 30 seconds to go. And they made, they'd mentioned the fact that, like, well, it was just, like this awkward moment. Of, like, you see this, you know, fellow competitor, like, literally crawling around the corner to the finish line who had bonked. You know, as you know, I was going through a really tough time, I was like, "Oh goodness gracious!" But you wonder how long that takes, and just oh. to come and just to come across that obviously can be quite jarring. Oh yeah, that's got to be so hard to see because, like, your human instinct is to help, but like at the same time, you're trying to huge a huge goal, and then also if they receive help, it disqualifies them. So that's got to be a a mental battle coming around the corner and seeing that certainly. That's for sure. Well, hey, man, congratulations on oh, an awesome race. It was an awesome race. It was so nice to finally meet you in person. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see you guys in Boston. Hey, we'll see you there. All right. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. Thank you, Brian and Sarah, for coming on the show. Big shout out to McCurdy Train for sponsoring this episode. Again, they are capping the amount of athletes that will be working with their coaches in 2019. So if you have an inclination to use McCurdy Train, Get on there now. Go to their website, McCurdyTrain.com. You'll get a phone call from James shortly thereafter, and then he'll set you up. But again, they're capping the athletes, so move quickly. Same thing, Mercury Mile, they're not capping anything. You can get as many boxes as you like from MercuryMile.com. That's for sure. And I'll tell you what, you're going to like all of them. And if you don't, shoot, there's no risk. You just send it back. If you don't like this stuff, send it back. You don't have to keep any of it. But I know this. If you get it, you're going to like some of the stuff in there. I usually keep about half of the attire that they send me, which ends up being a lot of attire over the course of a year. But I'll tell you, now that the winter has come, all my best winter stuff, the stuff that I got from Mercury Mile, all of it. So I'm glad I use it. That's for sure. Megaton Coffee, thank you for fueling the Rambling Runner podcast. And biggest thank you of all goes to you, the listener. Thank you for sharing and rating and reviewing the podcast, everything you do. I really appreciate it because this podcast isn't for me. It's for you. And I'm so glad that you like it. So happy running.